Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Amen. Guys, open up your Bibles. We're going to start in Hebrews 10, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter 2 the latter part here as we've been doing a sermon series on discipleship. This morning is disciple and fellowship and service. Uh, before I was a lead pastor, a church planner, I was a youth pastor for many, many years. Probably 25 years of youth ministry. Brent and I journeyed together a lot, ministering to kids and, and, and just serving them in the, in the youth ministry. There was one year where I took a bunch of kids. Danny, you might remember this because you were one of them. I knew Danny since he was like 14 or 13 or 14 years old. He's in his 30s now, so it doesn't tell you how old I am. But um, there was one year we took a whole load of kids up to Yosemite in a bus. I don't know if you remember that trip. And we went over there. I know the Vigils used to do a whole thing in Yosemite. We used to take a whole bunch of church people up to Yosemite. We went up there for a Memorial Day weekend, I believe it was. And we were there, and we just wanted to take the kids to experience the wilderness, experience all that was going on and everything. But there was one thing I did with the kids. I wanted them to go on a hike with me. But on this hike, it was along a waterfall. I don't know if you remember, it was on a, low, a waterfall that came off over the edge. I've, I've been familiar with this waterfall. I knew what it did. I know what it was like. I, I knew what that experience was. But I challenged the kids, I just want to take you on this hike. It's about a mile up. It's a pretty steep hill, but you're, you're, you're hiking alongside a waterfall, and it's going to be a beautiful thing for you guys. I want them to experience that. So as we gathered, there probably was about 30 kids, 25 to 30 kids that were with us. And we started up this hike. But what they didn't remember, and I remembered, was that when you hiked up the, by the side of the waterfall, it got colder, right? It, it, it was brisk. And the, the, the waterfall, when it hit the ground, the, the mist would be so heavy that it'd be like rain. And there would be a breeze. What they didn't realize is they were wearing just T-shirts and shorts, and they're hiking. Oh, we can do this, Pete. We got this. We're hiking up. And the further we got up, the colder it got, and the wetter they got, and they started freezing right? And I'm hiking. In the middle of that, I stop, I get in my backpack, and I pull out my weather-resistant poncho. And I put it on. And they're like, no way! And they were like mad at me and say, that's not fair! And all these different things. I put it on, and I, I go, listen, you're going to be faithful going up the hill because there's a, there's a surprise. There's a blessing when you get to the top. And so you had to hike like a whole bunch of stairs. There were steep stairs. You hiked along the side of the, the fall. And when you got to the top, it was a beautiful sunny day. It was warm. And we were there and we all gathered together. And I remember sitting them down and challenging them. And I said, many of you thought, you know, in your own strength, you were going to do this. Many thought it was no big deal. Many thought of all these things. But you didn't realize that you were going to hit a little storm. And it was going to get cold. And it was going to get hard. And some of you were going to hurt. You're going to start having spasms in your muscles. You're going to be freezing. And when they got to the top, man, they were like shaking. You know what I mean? I didn't feel bad for them, but they were shaking. <laughs> and what I challenged them was, was this, is that, guys, you have to always be prepared for the storm. There's some studying I had done before this trip that I knew about this waterfall, and I knew that it was going to be misty. So I was prepared because I had been a place of knowing what was going to happen. Guys, when you come in church, when you come to fellowship, when you come to serve, it's a place where you're going to be able to learn how to weather the storms and be prepared for the storms. Because you're going to be on a journey, and you don't know where that journey is going to take you. You don't know what it's going to do, but you need, 
You need to be prepared for the storms. That's what disciples do, right? They, disciples have learned how to weather the storms. They learn how to know to be involved with that. We know Jesus had commanded the disciples to make disciples. And we know that this wasn't a suggestion, it was a commandment. And we've been studying through what it means to be a disciple here. And as we journeyed through these series, we discovered that there's a cost in discipleship. But we also know there's dis disciplines for discipleship. In the past few weeks, we have looked at the first two disciplines, abiding in the word and prayer. This morning, we're going to be looking at fellowship and service. And you cannot have one without the other. It's like that chair that you're sitting on this morning. If you remove one of those legs, you will topple over. You need all the legs to support you. And you'll need all these disciplines to support you as a follower and a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 10 where it commands us about not forsaking the gathering or the fellowship or church. And we're reading out of Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 22 to 25. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in, fullness, in, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of other, others ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray this morning that there's a blessing in the hearing of your word. I want to pray this morning that your spirit will speak to us. I want to pray this morning that our hearts will be open to, to the word that we would receive all that you have for us, that we would be fully equipped as disciples to live out these lives that you called us to live out in a, in a way that's honorable and godly unto you. I pray this morning, Lord, that your word would manifest you, Lord, that we will worship and honor you through the reading and the studying of your word. As we continue our worship through the word, Lord, may you speak to our hearts this morning that your word would transform our lives. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to look at two things this morning. The first one is this. A disciple makes fellowship and service a priority. A disciple makes fellowship and service a a priority. We see that in Hebrews 10, 22 to 25. You've heard it said, and I hear this all the time, is this, that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And that might be technically right, but to a disciple, church is essential. I want to hear, to a disciple, church is essential. See, because many believers are like spiritual orphans, right? like children of God with no family relationships or like foster kids who bouncing from family to family and never finding a home. In fact, I think many take the need for fellowship too lightly. I think this is crucial to the strength of the church. So listen, when, when babies are born, the family is crucial to their development. If we're called the children of God, then we're children, as children, we need to grow in the Lord. As children, we grow best when we're connected to a family. When we're connected to a family. We're going to be here starting in the book of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews challenges us 
regarding the need to attend church and not to forsake the fellowship. In fact, the book of Hebrews is best described by one word, and that word is better. Jesus was a better than the angels. He was a, a better sacrifice. He was better priest. And now he's challenging us on what is best. And the best thing for us as followers is to be disciplined in our fellowship with one another in the church. And we see that commanded in verse 25. The assembly is to be practiced till he comes. The gathering is to be practiced till he comes. What we do here this morning is to be practiced till he comes. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. First thing is off the bat, the author Hebrews says this, don't forsake the assembly. Don't forsake the gathering. Don't forsake church is what he's saying right off the bat here. Don't abandon the fellowship. That word forsaken is a very interesting word. It's a strong word. It means, it was the same words Jesus used on the cross. We said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same word. Same word to describe Demas, who had forsaken the faith to go after the world. It's a strong word. Author, the author, he was saying is don't forsake, don't abandon, don't leave what God has commanded. See, those who say they don't need church are in opposition to what God knows is best for us. But God knows what's best for us. Because he writes here, he gives a command, do not forsake the fellowship. Why? Because he tells us here. Because some made it a habit not to gather. That's a, that's a bad habit to have. There's some habits we need to break. And, the, and this is a habit, he says, this has become a problem in the gathering. What was going on at that day that many Jews were coming to the faith, but now they were, the, then the, the old Jewish habits begin to come sneak in and they wanted to begin to practice legalism. And so they're moving away and being drifted away by what was, what was commanded of them. And I think today there's some people here that haven't taken the assembly seriously enough and they made it a habit today not to come together. He says, as a matter of some have made this a habit, some have already begun to fall away. See, no fellowship will only hinder your heart for God and your service for him. It will only hinder it. I think many people do have a hard time with commitment. But the church, and the church is not the brick and mortar, though we gather in the brick and mortar. The church is us. The church is the people. Those that are inside the church. And the people here, we're called the bride. We're called the bride of Christ. And the bride is committed to community. The bride is committed to the commands of God. What kind of marriage will you have if you make a commitment and then abide in that commitment? That'd be a broken marriage. You violated a covenant. When you come to faith, you're, you made a covenant to God. And one of the covenants is to obey his commands and to honor him. For if you don't, if you don't obey his commands, how can you say you love him? And he's, he's commanding us to, to this, this commitment of, of community, of, of coming together, to not to neglect the gathering because it's Christ's will that his disciples gather. But he, he commands to do that for a purpose. 
to exhort one another, he says in verse 25. There's something special that happens when we gather together corporately. When we come together as a community, notice the word one another here. We come to, to one another. Uh, the purpose of the gathering is to exhort one another, to challenge one another, to, to, to say, hey, this is what's next. In fact, the word exhort in the Greek language, because the New Testament written in Greek was the word parakaleo, is the same word to describe the role of the Holy Spirit. To come alongside somebody, to console, to encourage, to warn or to strengthen one another. This can never happen if you forsake the fellowship. And because of your absence, you will miss out on a blessing. You will miss out on a blessing. He doesn't want absentee believers. <laughs> he doesn't want that, right? This discipline that gathers needed more than ever. We, we, we do this, we gather until he comes. And this gathering is a, a crucial to the encouragement of you to keep walking until he comes, right? Because the days will be darker in the light of his return. I want you to hear that. The days are gonna get darker in the light of his return. And so we need this in order to be the light in the darkness. We know that some of the believers is Paul, I mean, as the author, some believe it's Paul, but some, they're not too sure the author, but, but some of the believers were ready to, to throw in the towel. So we, you might be feeling that this morning in your own walk. You just want like, man, this is tough. I don't know if I can make it. I'm really to, to say no mas, throw in the towel. We need one another more than ever. We need more one another because there is a day of coming. There is a judgment. Notice in that passage, the day of judgment, it's a big D. It's not a small D. It's the appointed day. The day we stand before God, that's a significant day. So he commands us to not forsake the gathering. This is vital to the life of your walk with God and to the community and the strength of the church. That's why the enemy has so impacted the church with this COVID thing. It's contrary to the command of God. What does this gathering do? The fellowship or the gathering has three blessings. Notice the phrase, let us, in each of the commands that we're going to look at in a moment. Let us. We, we all have a, a common experience in the church. When God does a great work here, there'll be two or more witnesses. The Bible says when you see something, there'll be maybe two more witnesses to validate it. Let us means it's us as a family. In America, we like me, let me. We like individualism. This is my own faith. This is my own way. Me, myself, and I. That's the trinity of the world. But that's not the thinking of the scriptures. It's the community. God shows himself his presence in the, the community. Here's what it does. Number one, fellowship opens the door to experience God's presence. Look at verse 22. Let us, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. The church will be the place where you can experience the presence of God. God always had places that you would experience his presence. Even in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle and you had the temple. 
And he dwelt there in the midst of his people. God inhabits the praise of his people. When we sang and we gathered and you lifted your voices, he was pleased by that and he inhabits that. We know the scripture says that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. That's a promise given to us. In Matthew 18, 20, the promise is this, for, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm here in the midst of them. There are, there's more than two or three here this morning. God is present here with us. But he commands us when we draw near to him to draw near with a sincere heart. Without, without hypocrisy. Guys, in our brokenness and in our frailties, in our honesties, in our mess, we draw near to him. We're not like the man in the temple who said, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector. He starts talking about all the righteous things he did. And the, and the tax collector said, here's my, all of my unrighteousness. And God received his prayer. We, we want to draw with an authentic heart to God. We don't draw near to him. We could come. God has made a way to enter his presence at the death, burial, and the resurrection. The curtain was torn to the Holy Host that we might enter in. We have a mediator that we might enter in through Jesus. So we come with an open heart, a genuine heart, even in our brokenness, that God made a provision for our frailties and our sin because of the sprinkling of the blood of the Lamb, because we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. We are washed by the blood of Christ. Amen. We are cleansed and washed by his word. Jesus is the mediator that does all that. Yeah. When, we're, when we're baptized, we, we, we make a confession of faith and we're put into the ground through water and immersed in water and raised again. The old is buried, the new is made alive. We are new creations. Doesn't mean we're perfect. There's a process that we go through, not for, per, per, for perfection, but it's the process that God has taken us through. Amen. You know what God does when we draw near to him in his presence? He begins to heal our conscience. Think about it for this. Maybe, maybe you come from a, a, a crazy life and you've done some things you're not proud of or made decisions you're not proud of and there's guilt and there's shame. There's embarrassment. But God covers that and removes it. He said, oh, believe me, I will not put to shame. You only have to go to the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, to read about Paul as he's speaking to the Ephesians elders. This is a man who murdered the, the many Christians before he came to faith and persecuted the church and ordered the martyr to Stephen. He, he, here's a man that did outrageous, crazy, violent things in his life. In Acts 20, 26, Paul states his conscience is clear. He's innocent of blood, he says. How can a man who has that past say that? Because he understood that he was covered by the blood. He understood when he drew near to God, God drew near to him, and he covered a multitude of sin because love covers a multitude of sin. Come on, come on. See, when you come into the presence of God this morning, God's doing a work on your heart and in your mind and in your conscience. You don't want to have a, a seared conscience where you don't feel anything anymore. That's what sin will do. It'll make your heart heart but the spirit will soften your heart. His presence will soften heart. And so we celebrate that we have full access to the throne of grace. 
First John 3.20 says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So we get to experience God's presence when we gather and he works on our heart. He begins to do the work he needs to do. Here's the second thing, guys. Fellowship keeps us from wavering in the faith. It keeps us from wavering in the faith. Look at verse 23. Let us, there it is, plural. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You know what the church does? It's our accountability. The church keeps us on track with our faith. It says here to, to hold fast the confession of your faith, to hold fast to the things you've confessed. Hold fast to things that keep you secure, keep you firm in your possessions. Hold true to the things you've been taught. Hold true to the doctrines. Hold fast to confess your hope. That's the word. Many of the Jews were sliding back and they were wavering in their faith, going back to their own legalism, their own religion. But we hold back, to, we hold on to that time when we said, Jesus, I believe you. Remember that day you made that confession of faith. Some of it might have been a, a night you remember. Some of it might have been, just been a process in your life that you come to confession of faith. But we have to be careful. When we, when we get away outside the fellowship, it's easy to, to waver in our faith. It's easy, it's easy to, 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 to drift. Hebrews 2.1 says this, therefore we must give, give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, to the doctrines, to the teachings, lest we drift away. Why do you think they tether boats to and anchors in the bay? Because they don't, they will drift away. Why, why do you think when you go to the beach and you go in the water and you go swimming and you put your clothes over here and your chair over here and you go in the water and a half hour later you look back you can't find your stuff. You're, you don't even know that you were drifting away. When, when you're disconnected from the fellowship, you will drift away. You don't even know what's happening. It's like the frog in the kettle when they turn on the heat. They don't know that the water's getting warmer. You'll drift away. The church is what keeps you accountable in your ways with the word. The church will keep you from being what? A double-minded person. There's a lot of theology and craziness that comes and teaching that comes in and they toss us back and forth like waves, like an ocean. Every wind and doctrine coming our way. Be careful, there's lies, but if you're not in the church and community, you won't understand and be able to discern what the truth and the lie is. It challenges us about the perseverance of the saints. Holding on to what that's holding firm to the end. This is not a work theology, but a fruit of salvation. When God's changes, I'm holding on to that truth. I'm gripping that truth. Just like Jacob wanted to hold on to God in the Old Testament. Say, I'm not gonna let go until you bless me. I'm holding on tight, God. This is all I got, and you're all I have. I'm holding firm. Hebrews 3:14 says this: for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the hold the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. Revelation 3.11 says, I'm coming quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. We're holding fast. Perseverance means you hang in there. Guys, hang in there. Remember when you were a little kid or maybe parents, your parents, your kids come and they just want to hold on to your leg? You know, and I remember my kids used to hold on my leg and I used to walk, take them to the zoo, they just want to hold on <laughs> You know what I mean? Man, maybe we, maybe we have intimacy like that with God. Just want to hold on to him. 
Why? Because God and his word is faithful. He's faithful. But how is he faithful? When we face trials and tribulations or persecution, he is faithful. 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 14. When we face temptation, he's faithful to make a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. When we sin, he is faithful to forgive our sins. 1 John 1, 9. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2, 13. And he will protect us from the evil one, for he is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3, 30. God is faithful. God is a, a person of his word. He never lies. And so we see that. Here's another thing about staying in the fellowship. Fellowship makes a way for us to love and serve one another. Look at verse 24. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Put it this way. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to act of love and good works. The purpose of the church, though we know discipleship is command, is edification. To build up one another, to strengthen one another, to help one another. Notice the one another. <laughs> to love one another, serve one another. Each one of you has a role in the body. And we need one another. We have many parts, like this body. I have arms and legs and eyes and hands. Many parts, yet it's one body. Each of you have a role in the body. You might not think so. Pastor, what am I? I don't have, what do I have to offer? I don't, what do I have to give to the church? You know what? We all have armpits, right? We don't think they're very significant. They smell, they stink. We put juice on them so we don't stink and smell. But that's the air conditioner of the body. It's an important part of the body. You might be the armpit, but you're still part of the body. Listen, we all have a role in God's family and in his body. Now, don't email me, okay? Get mad. All right. We have many parts, but one body, and we are to have love and unity in the body. How does that look? If, if somebody's hurting or suffering, we should comfort them. If one is kind of walked away or strayed and you have a family member in this church, you know that isn't walking with the Lord or maybe starting to make some bad choices, redirect them with the truth. Speak the truth in love. If there is strife, if there's division, exhort to forgive and love. The Bible says you can't do that. You can't come to the community table unless you work out your differences. Love will lead to good works that will lead to good news. <laughs> Love opens the door to be able to proclaim the good news. So the first thing he challenges the disciples is that we're called to not forsake the felt, to be in church, to gather. Here's the second thing, second point. A disciple walks and serves God. I want you to Acts chapter 2. Jump now out Acts chapter 2. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the fourth book in the New Testament. Fifth book, I'm sorry. That's right, fifth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I don't know how to count. I'm, I, I went to public school. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up in East L.A. It was the best schools. A disciple walks and serves God. We look at Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. We want to see the fruit of this assembly. We want to see what it looks like, right? 
I, I don't know about you, but I love basketball, and we're currently in the NBA Finals. I'm not finding the playoffs, right? I'm watching the NBA. For you Lakers fans, I'm sorry. I'm a Laker fan. We lost, right? The Clippers are playing today. We'll see how they do. But I, I've been watching the, the playoffs, right? And um, I know for some of you bandwagon watchers, you'll watch the playoffs. You don't watch anything all year, but then when the playoffs come, you start watching it, right? And many, and many will turn on the TV and, and watch for the next few weeks, and, and there'll, be, there'll be regular attenders to watch these playoff games. They will cheer their favorite team, maybe even buy some paraphernalia. As an onlooker, they will critique the players. They'll question the coach. They'll boo and cheer based on their team's achievement. And after the series is over and the victory has been crowned, many will, many will celebrate or mourn the outcome of their team. Our team won. Oh, man, our team lost. As if they contributed to the outcome of the game. There's a big difference between being a spectator and being in the game. And in the church, there's a difference between a disciple and a spectator. You'll find in the church, there's a lot of spectators. People who want to watch from a distance, who want to critique and analyze the church, but they have not broken, they have not broken any sweat to participate in the mission of the church. Jesus is not looking for some Jesus, Jesus is not looking for some Jesus fans. He's looking for you to become the, on the team, to be able to get a little dirty and break a little sweat and to mix it up a little bit. The book of Acts is the story of the Acts of the Apostle. In Acts eleven twenty six, we know that the disciples were first called Christians. In Acts chapter 2, we find an active, active vibrant, explosive church living out their faith in service. Chapters 1 and 2, you see that this is really praying. They're praying in an upper room. Jesus was walking this earth for 40 days. He commands the disciples and 120 to meet in an upper room. And they were there for 10 days. And in 10 days, they were praying and seeking the face of God. They were experiencing God. And then God baptized them as Holy Spirit and empowers Peter, who just 50 days earlier, just denied Christ, preaches the biggest gospel, powerful message, gospel, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. Boom, overnight, it was a mega church. But when there was a mega church, there was mega needs. And it was a diverse church that happened. And, it, you know, at that time, the, the disciples and those that could have been overwhelmed by what they saw, but they engaged the challenge. And we read in Acts chapter 2, a great move here. We know when they heard the message, they were cut to heart and they were baptized. Can you imagine being out at the bay and baptizing 3,000 people? Praying for that day. That's what happened here when you get to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. You see that they believed and were baptized. But I want to focus on 42 to 47 as we begin to look at the activity of the church, the, the fruit of the, of the ministry when we gather here, because this right here is our huddle to live out our faith. You got that? This right here is where we come and get the plans, and we break, and we go out and live out the plans. That's what this is. That's what the assembly is. That's what church gathering is. But look at the four disciplines of the disciples established by the church. We've discussed these four disciplines, too, the last couple of weeks, Right? Look at 42. And as they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread and prayer. The church is the vehicle to make disciples, and the four disciplines are the wheels to carry out that destination, to carry us to our destination. The church is the people, that's us, calling to live out our faith. Look at the four things laid out here. What does it say here? They were they, they continually steadfast. They were, this is what they did regularly. They just didn't do this on Sunday. This is the fluency of the gospel, meaning that the gospel, is, the gospel is what we live. It's who we are. Every day, 
They lived like this. Steadfastly, they were, they were on course. And they continued steadfastly, what? In the apostles' doctrine. We talked about the importance of the word. The word doctrine just means teachings. They studied the scriptures. They learned the scriptures. They had Bible studies. They were growing in the scriptures. It was a, this, it had a regiment that they practiced. The word was a high priority. The study of the truth was a high priority. And it says, and they fellowshiped. Interesting word. The Greek word is koinonia. A lot of you in the church may have heard that term. They fellowship, right? That word interesting means contribution or service. To serve or to contribute. That's what koinonia means. They were giving of themselves, not only giving of their time, but giving of their treasure. It was both. We're going to see that in a moment practiced. And then it says that they, they fellowship and in the breaking of bread. They part- every time they gathered, they would break bread, meaning not only did they break at a meal, but they broke in communion. They had a communion to remember what all that Jesus had done. He instituted that 50 days earlier. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper was instituted. It said, do this every time you gather in my name. And they prayed. And they prayed. <laughs> Though prayer is the last on the list, it should be the first on the list. Because this is called a house of prayer, not a house of preaching, not a house of fellowship, not a house of breaking bread. Though we do those things, it's called a house of prayer. Prayer is the priority in all these things and what we do. I want you to hope you catch this right here, this verse, because this verse is the foundation of what we do here at New Vision. You come here, what do we do? We worship where we gather. We hear his word, the teaching of the word. Why? We have prayer time, right? We have communion. And we, we break bread and we learn. That's why on June 20th, guys, we're starting to open up the door of the churches more. We're starting to get back to our meals on Sunday, our fellowship on Sunday, our community on Sunday. We're going to open up. You know that two years ago, we moved to this facility on Mother's Day. And we never thought this would close down. And now we're relaunching again on Father's Day. And I remember the days when we used to break bread down before and eat together and fellowship. That's what's happening. We're starting it again. We're opening up the doors. We're starting with Father's Day. But let me tell you, there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but we cannot put the work before the word. You go all the way to Acts chapter six, there was an issue that broke up with the widows and, and they were in the food line and they're fighting because they couldn't get the food they needed. And so what did they do? The, the leaders, the, the apostles selected seven men to care for the widows, to break up the fighting in the line. Can you imagine the widows fighting in the line over food? The old ladies in the church. Get the young men to break it up. You know what I mean? It happens today. Food line. We used to do the food line, brother. They got down in that food line. But it says this, now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, it was growing. When there's 3,000 plus, there arose complaints against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected the daily distribution. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Sometimes we could get so busy trying to serve, we forgot the importance of the prayer and the word. The word and prayer is a priority here at New Vision. But we need servants 
that were raised up in the church to take care of the widows and the orphans and the strangers that scriptures have commanded us. We, those things are important, but you don't exchange one for the other. In fact, if you look at that there, they raised up seven men there. You could read, we, we could read those in verse five and list them who they were. One of them was Philip. Philip helped take care of the ministry. He started his ministry at a, at a soup kitchen, at a food distribution place. He would later on become Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapter 8, who began to share the gospel, and the Samaritans came to, to know the Lord. Later, he would become an evangelist, and in Acts chapter 21, he had four prophetess daughters, and he was about evangelists. He grew in the ministry by start just waiting and serving tables. You want to grow, you want to grow in the ministry? It starts with your serving. Pastor, I want to be a pastor just like you. Brother, I hope you just could just show up on Sunday morning. Can you just serve a little panduce to somebody across the street? Can you just take a little cold, cold water to somebody who's thirsty? Oh, but I want to teach the word. No, you're, you're teaching the word by being the word. And it starts there first. And in this season, while this was going on, here's what happened. Here, let's break it down. I don't have much time. God manifested his power through his people. Look at verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Before there were signs and wonders, there was reverence to God. There was a fear of God. There was an awe of God. God's presence hit the people there. I think today a lot of us, a lot of us are lacking the true fear of God, the, the, the true reverence fear of God. Psalm 110 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 33.8 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. When we worship here, we hear, we're just in awe of God. And the fruit of that, when they practice these four things, that signs and wonders happen. We know that God is a God of miracles. We sang about it this morning. And God did miracles through the apostles. The greatest miracle we can see is a changed heart. A transformed heart, a converted heart. That's the first greatest miracle we can see. And I believe miracles are still possible today. I pray for healing. We prayed for healing this morning, right? We pray for God's intervention in people's lives. We pray for protection. Sometimes we pray for that. We don't even realize how much God has protected us, right? But people are really freaked out about signs and wonders, about miracles today. You know why? Because I think we got it off balance a little bit. Because people today worship the gifts more than they worship the gift giver. They seek the gift rather than they seek the one who gives the gift. And we get off balance with it. We get all freaked out by it. Just read Corinthians. The Corinthians just struggled with that issue. So Paul had to set them straight on the, the, the roles of the gifts. But the, the, the biggest thing that hinders the works that God wants to do is unbelief. Jesus couldn't even do many miracles in his own home because they had unbelief. When Jesus wanted to heal Jairus' daughter, he kicked out the people that were mourners. He kicked them out. I only brought Peter, James, and John in because he said, I cannot have unbelief in the house before he raised Jairus' daughter up. We either believe this is true or it's not true. Either we believe it's true or it's a lie, but I believe it's true because I've seen my life transformed by it, and I've seen your lives transformed, and I've seen the miracles happen, and so I believe it to be true. But everybody wants to question this word. 
Well, let's just make the red letter edition. That's it. Timothy says all of it's inspired, old and new. Not just parts of it. And then if we talk, you think like that, what part is and what part isn't? It's all inspired. If not, we're most pitied. For what we do here this morning is foolishness. Here's another thing they did when they gathered into practice for disciplines. There was great generosity in the church. Check this out, 44 and 45. Now all who believed were together and all things and, and, and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. First thing you see when they're praying and they're studying the word and they're breaking bread together, communion, there was unity. There was unity like never before. There was unity in faith because they were one accord. There was unity opens doors for caring and sharing. That's what unity does. There was unity in hearts because they had all things in common. Look at the reason we have unity here is that we have one common faith, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And our faith unifies us. The world doesn't comprehend that. We're so divided. We're so fractured in this world, but God says, no, you are one body. You are one family. Diverse as you are, we're still one. Unity breaks down the walls of hostility. Christ is the unifier. That's why we're called brothers and sisters. Not only was there great unity, there was a great generosity. There's generosity in sharing. There was this outreach that took place, right? Their, their love for one another motivated them to be generous to one another. And there was a, a redistribution of wealth. Now, I want you to hear this, because I know there's talk right now in our country about this, right? Here's the difference between communism and communism. I want you to hear this, okay? Communism commands you share your wealth. Communism, which is common denominator, which is Jesus, is a love act, is willing to share our wealth. Do you see the difference? One is demanded, one is a choice. The church was willing to share their wealth. See, faith changes your priorities. People's resources become God's resources. Zacchaeus gave up his wealth when he ran had an encounter with Jesus and gave all his stuff back four times and all he had to the poor. Not because it was commanded on him, not because it was required by the law, it's because he had a generous heart after he met Jesus. When you meet Jesus, something happens in here and you don't become, we're not, you don't become stingy anymore. We're willing to share. My car is not my car. My car is Jesus' car. My money ain't my money because the wealth comes from the Lord, the scripture says. Now, I know people have abused that. But I'm not going to apologize for what God commanded us to do, be generous. A lot of people abuse a lot of things out there. There's something when we bless people and give that changes our heart. Because when we're tight with our wallet, we're probably tight in here. But they were willing to, to give of themselves, right? You only got to go two more chapters over to Barnabas, that latter part of the chapter four, and you have Barnabas 
Son of encouragement is his nickname. That's what Barnabas means. And he sold his house. He sold his possession to give to the church. Read it at the very end of chapter four. You know, he, does, he only gets like two verses. Go to chapter five. You get a whole section of Ananias the fire, don't you? Hey, look what Barnabas did. Oh, man, he, he got attention. Like, check it out. So him, you know, and us, hey, let's, let's sell some of our stuff and we'll give it to church. So they sold their possessions and they came to the apostles and they asked, is that all of it? They go, oh yeah, it's all of it. But they pocket some in their pockets. Ah, ah. Guess what? Peter confronted him and said, listen, bro, is this all of it? Oh yeah, you lied. It says, you don't even, he didn't say, you said you lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Ooh. Died on the spot. A little bit later, his wife comes in, same thing. Hey, is this all you got? Oh, yeah, we got it. We gave it all. Liar. See that, see that line to the floor where they drag your, your husband's feet out? That's what the scripture says. Died on the spot. I wonder how many mortuaries need to be in the church. The Bible says in John that there's a sin that kills. Read it. I don't know, two places post-resurrection that sin that kills. When you come to the table in an unworthy manner, some died. Come on, come on. And when people were lying, some died. That's, I, I, that's only two places in Scripture in the New Testament I know that somebody died. But here, this church was so alive, they gave generously. But when that happened, when they both died, it says great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things, Acts 5.11. Maybe it needs to be some stirring, man. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm not saying kill me, Lord, but you know, I mean, if, you know, if I drop dead, you might be fearful, but I hope I'm in a good state. What was happening here? They were, they were bringing the kingdom. What was their prayer in Matthew, in Matthew chapter? That kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They begin to taste a little bit of the kingdom during that time. Such love and unity lived before the world. Such devotion, joy, ministry, and testimony convinced unbelievers to trust in Jesus Christ. They were growing. They started at 3,000 and were booming. Through 46, there was great community in the church. Check this out. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Mm. They were doing outreach but they're also doing in-reach, right? There was discipleship going on. Continued daily, they, were, they, they, they committed, and they were earnestly in what they were doing. The gospel is our life. It's how, we, it's how we live as people of God. Where do they meet? They met in two places. They met in the temple, the church, they met in the temple, which would be our church, and they met in their homes. The temple and house to house, right? Guys, a lot of people say, oh, you, we got to be in the church. You can't be in the house. Where is it? Right there. It says in the Bible, they met house to house. <laughs> I don't get it. They did both. They gathered here, but they, break, they broke bread house to house. They were committed to a life of discipleship, a life of community. Men, if you haven't signed up for the men's ministry, where they're meeting houses to house during the week, I want to encourage you to sign up so you can be a part of a community and meet together to learn how you have victory in Christ. You need the community. So if you have, I know we're all busy, but where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Look at, I'm challenging you to grow in that. 
Maybe you're here and you don't know what this faith walk looks like. We have a, a one-on-one discipleship that will partner with you so that you can ask questions and, and learn what it means to walk with God, learn what it means to have a devotion to God, learn, learn what it means to have an intimate relationship with God. We have that here at New Vision. Just got to go see Sean. He'll set that up in the, in the welcome center right off these doors. And we'll connect somebody with you because we are here at New Vision about discipleship, about making disciples. And when they met house to house, what did they broke bread together? They ate together. They hung out together. They did life in real time. Discipleship is life on life. Hearing and praying and fellowshipping and serving. We are doing these things 24-7. It's just not what we do on Sunday morning. It's what we do when we walk out these doors. Acts chapter 5, 42 says, And daily in the temple and every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Your ministry might just be birthed out of your house. New Vision was birthed out of our backyard in our house. And what was the fruit of the joyful spirit? There was great gladness and singleness of heart. Like, so there was, and we see that gladness and singleness of heart. Something began to happen within when they did that. They rejoiced. Maybe you're a, maybe you're a, see things more on the negative side. Maybe you're a grumpy old man. Maybe you need community to, to bring some gladness and joy in your life. You know, and for us that have a person that's grumpy, maybe we just need to be a blessing to him so he can experience God's goodness and love. It's got to rub off on each other so we can bless people. Because love is patient, ain't it? I mean, there's people we need to be patient with more than others. But I say this, God was patient with me. Surely we could be patient with one another. And lastly, there was a spiritual, there was a supernatural growth in the church, like in 47. Praising God, so they were celebrating, they were honoring, and having favor with all people, there was unity, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Right? There was worship and grace among the people. They were being gracious to another, and kind with another. And you know what? Looking over each other's shortcomings, that's being gracious. What a great church growth model, huh? I read books over the years, went to college on growth, growth models. Chapter two is the growth model for the church. You want to study? Just study chapter two of Acts, right? We care for others and God will care for his church. See? Who grows the church? I don't grow the church and you don't grow the church. God grows the church. Some plant the seed, some water the seed, but God gives the increase. I'm just a witness. He says, I want you to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. The word witness is a martyr. You lay down your life. But witness, all a witness do is bear truth of what he knows, bears, bears testimony of what he knows to be true. This is what I know to be true. And I just share it with you. I'm not the judge and jury. I'm just the witness. And I witness the truth to you and allow the seed to fall in where it needs to fall. And trusting God that by the Holy Spirit is going to work in your heart to draw you to him. I'm just a bearer of good news. When we know we have, we're a bearer of good news, it's easy to tell the story. It's easy to tell your testimony. I want to encourage you to come tonight because I'm going to be talking about the passion of preaching and the passion of the gospel on Sunday night service tonight in Philippians. But I want to encourage you, be the bearer of good news. That's the gospel. And great work took place and salvation happened. So as we close and the worship team comes, I'm going to challenge you with these two thoughts. Number one, a disciple makes fellowship a priority, makes community 
a priority. What steps will you make to draw near to God this week? What steps will you, what, 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 what you, do you need to change to draw near to God? Number two, a disciple walks and serves God. Who is the one person you can minister to, minister to this week? Write it down in your book or you take your notes. Write a note on your Bible. What it is, who is that one person you want to pray for or encourage this week or reach out to just to love on them? Who is that one person that we can be the Acts to church? Amen. That we can live this out, our faith out, living out the four disciplines we read in 242 of Acts. May new vision take on the image and the model of 242 to 47 as we leave. Father, heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy, Lord. Father, move in your church, especially in these seasons, these times where so many are so open to hear and willing to listen. May we be a voice of reason. May we be a voice that brings good news. As all they hear on news is bad news. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.